Welcome to the Uphill Climb podcast, a four-part series where we talk with some of the amazing women who have led the way in shaping women's professional cycling. We take a deep dive into their stories. I'm your host, Jill Yesko, director of the documentary Uphill Climb, The Women Who Conquered the Impossible Race. Et c'est l'américaine Marianne Martin qui remporte ce premier Tour de France féminin. Today, far too many people think Greg LeMond was the first American to win the Tour de France. But no mention of Tour de France victories is complete without celebrating American Marianne Martin's historic win in 1984 at the debut of the Tour de France Féminine, two years before LeMond's victory at the Tour de France. Martin's groundbreaking victory proved that women could conquer the rigors of the Tour de France. The 1984 Tour de France Féminine included the same epic climbs as the men, with the women summoning peaks like the famous Alpe d'Huez and the Col de Jouplan. Standing on the women's podium next to men's winner Laurent Fignon, Martin remembers feeling awed by her victory. But her amazing feat was soon relegated to a footnote. After coming home with her yellow jersey, Martin had to soon give up her dream of repeating her title because of illness and a lack of financial support for her racing. Marianne Martin talks about what it was like to win the first ever Tour de France for women and why we need to preserve a Tour de France for women no matter what the cost. Marianne Martin, welcome to the Uphill Climb podcast. Thank you, Jill. It's great to be here. Marianne, tell me, when did you first fall in love with cycling? Well, there's falling in love with cycling and falling in love with racing. And I fell in love with cycling in fourth grade when it gave us freedom to do whatever we wanted. And I fell in love with racing after I did well in my first race. And I just thought, this is the greatest thing. I want to do this again. Did you win your first race? No, but I got fourth out of like 30 women or something like that. And to me, that was amazing. I didn't expect that. Well, what, do you remember what your first bike was? Was it was an actual racing bike or did you just kind of jump in with like a, a borrowed bike? It was um, a Fuji bike that I bought from a friend for $600. And it wasn't a racing bike or anything. I went to the bank and took out a loan to get the bike. So it wasn't anything special, but it was all I had. It was great. It was it was your special bike because it was your intro to racing bike. Right. When did you first hear there was going to be a Tour de France for women in 1984? I don't re remember exactly how I found out there was going to be a Tour de France. I think I might have been at training camp. But as soon as I heard that Jonathan Boyer was going to do be the first American man to ride in the Tour de France, I said to my mom, I want to do that. And there wasn't a women's Tour de France then, but right away I wanted to do that. So when I heard there was going to be women, I was completely focused. That's all I wanted to do. That was definitely my direction in life. And what did you do to get yourself onto the 84 team? I wasn't riding very well in 84 at the beginning of the year. So I wasn't looking that I'd get a spot on the team. I had actually started putting my sights on the following year, but my cycling was coming around and there was still one spot on the team. So I drove down to Colorado Springs and begged Eddie for that last spot on the team. 
and that's Eddie Eddie Borjewitz, Eddie B, who was the um, uh, U.S. Uh, national coach at that time. Right, tech- Eddie B was the national coach. He, he he was coaching both the men and the women. So when there was a spot left on the team, I went down and begged for that spot, and he called Mike Frazy, who was putting the team together and taking us to France, and they whatever they did, I wasn't in the room, and he came out and said, "Okay." And um, I said, believe me, Eddie, you won't be disappointed. And, and he wasn't. And none of <laughs> us were disappointed. This turned out really well, <laughs> like on, on every on every level. Yeah. So tell me, um, you got to Paris with the team and take it from there. Then, then what happened? You were about to enter this, you know, grand adventure at the tour. What, what were your first memories of that? We got to France a few days early. There was registration and all that other stuff to do. And we were assigned a director sportif and he didn't speak any English. So we were a little bit on our own. Betsy King, who was on the team, did speak French. And so she pretty much guided us around and told us what to do. And it was all very exciting. And then we weren't really clear on everything because he didn't speak French. So we were a little bit walking in the dark and then we just started the race. What was it like when you were um, like on the starting line uh, for the first stage and you looked around and there were women from, from obviously from France, from Germany, from the UK, I think from Sweden that first year. Uh, did it feel like, oh my gosh, the whole world is is here? It was all a little bit surreal and there was, it was so bizarre compared to any race I'd ever been in the States. I mean, it was just pure chaos going around and the sounds were all very different and there was a ton of crowd. I mean, the support there of cycling in France is amazing, nothing like the States. So it was very exciting, a little bit circus-like and of course we were nervous also not quite knowing what to expect since the french didn't think we would finish but so we didn't quite know what we were going into as opposed to you get used to racing in the states and you know what to expect it was not like that in france it was very different so you're um you're at the race you're at the the first stage did you feel really confident right from right from the get go like i have a good chance of of, of winning absolutely not Absolutely not. I I had no idea what to expect. I've never raced with that many European riders before. And in the end, I loved it. They're very good cyclists and very good teammates, which made racing really fun. But at the starting line, at the especially at the first day, I had no idea what to expect. And when at, at what point, because the first stages were were fairly flat, you did the bulk of the same stages that the that the men did, um, but they were they're shorter. You started beforehand. Um, when did you actually start to feel really good? Like get your legs and like the you know the germ of the like I could win this thing started to really take hold. Well, I started feeling on my game when we got to the hills because that's what I was the best at, and I felt really strong, and I also felt like I could go, I I could do really well there. And I felt like I could win it when the when we rode into Grenoble 
And at the top of the climb, I was 10 minutes ahead of the pack. And I, I started to slow down thinking I can't do the, the less, the rest of the 60 kilometers alone. So then I thought, no, I'll just keep going and I'll let them catch me. So when I came into Grenoble alone and nobody had caught me, that's when I thought, oh my gosh, I, I, maybe I could win this. So it wasn't until then that I had any feelings that I could do really well. And once, once you had um, conquered that stage, like, did you feel kind of invincible after that? Or, uh, well, no. at what point? No? Yeah. I never felt invincible. And I think even on the last day when we came into France, I think that um, you're always vulnerable to something happening, whether it's a mechanical or a crash or you just don't know how your body's going to behave racing day after day after day after day. I mean, I had never raced for 18 days in a row. You just don't know how you're going to be when you wake up. I mean, one day we had a rest day and I went downstairs to sit in this little courtyard and I, I didn't even have the energy to sit in the courtyard. I had to go back upstairs and lay down. But the next day I, I won and you just don't know how much your body is capable of until you're there. So yeah, 18 straight days of, of racing, some of the hardest climbs in, in the world. I can imagine how that uh, really taxed everybody, both physically and, and mentally. Uh, so when you weren't racing, what were you, what were you doing? You're just resting, trying, trying to eat, just trying to staring into space. No, I, I think uh, when we re we had a couple rest days in there. So it was over 23 days. We had 18 days of racing over 23 days. So we had a couple rest days. And we would get out on our bikes and just pedal race, you know, just gentle, just keep our body moving. N not even an hour, probably. And then we would lay down. I mean, like I said, it, I didn't even have time. I didn't even have energy to sit on a park bench. I was so exhausted. So the rest days, it's always hard in a stage race, a rest day, because having your body stop can make it really hard to get going the next day. So it's a balance between letting yourself rest and keeping your body going. And that was another thing that was pretty new to me. So it was, everything was new. Marianne, what are some of your really best memories from the 84 tour? My best memories from the 84 tour would be when I came into Grenoble alone, when I won that race, that was pretty outstanding. You know, the fun of winning, the realization that maybe I could win this race and the crowd, the crowd was amazing. It definitely was a surreal situation. And other than that, there there were a lot of little things that were really fabulous. Just you're in France, you're getting massage every day. Um, you know, just the little things like I loved our dinners. Uh, all the women were together. The European women are great sports people. They're very friendly off the bike and very congratulatory. And just being there was a fantastic opportunity. There was little things like um, 
you know, the chaos around the starting line was, it was, it, it was a little circus like, but it was amazing. So different than the States. And then there was a point where we were riding the Juplan and we had done, I don't know, like 20 kilometers. And then we get to this climb and you can see way, 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 way up there. And you see people lining the street and you look at that and you say, there's no way I can do that. And you, I really thought, oh my God, there's no way I can do that. And then your body takes you there. And learning what my body could do was an amazing part of the race too. Because you, you just have no idea what your body can do until you do it. It sounds like almost like the tour was like this life lesson, kind of like this um, almost like psychotherapy, right? It's like, I don't think I can do it. But here I am, here I am doing it. I'm coming into like this whole other like dimension of being. I would have to say that it is exactly that. It it taught me so much that I have used in my life. And when I give talks to groups, that's a big part of the message is you can do so much more than you think you can do. The other thing I learned there is because I did a lot of visualization leading up to it. And you can't do something that you can't see yourself doing. And that was very evident in the tour because I did train my mind to see myself as a champion. And then I was, I think that's a really important part of life. So it's the final stage and you're entering Paris with the group. You have secured the yellow Jersey, although you're still riding conservatively because I know you don't want to crash. Um, and I understand that there was a special guest in Paris. Tell me about that. Well, on the last day, I all I did was stay next to Helena Haga because she was three minutes behind me. And I knew if anything happened, I didn't want her to get ahead of me. So I was right there riding right next to her. And we did about, I don't know, 20 kilometers before we came around to the Champs-Élysées. As we're going by the start-finish line, I hear somebody yell, go, Marianne Martin. And I thought, oh, that's an American. So on our next lap around, I looked over to see who that was, and it was my dad. And he had surprised me and come to France to see the finish. And I turned to Helena and said, oh, my God, that's my dad, like she cared. But I was so excited I had to tell somebody. So it was really uh a fabulous surprise to have him come and be there to support me in that finish. That's that's a great special moment. And we have in, in the film, we have footage of, of you hugging your dad at the um, finish. It's really heartwarming. That was amazing. Yeah. So you you won the the Tour de France feminine. The uh, you have the yellow jersey. You're on the podium with Laurent Fignon. And they hand you the winner's winner's cup. Um, that must have been an amazing moment. Tell me about that. Well, the whole thing, not just getting the cup, but being up there. And of course, I didn't speak French, so I didn't really have any idea what was going on. Um, Greg Lamond was up there. So he told me a little bit as we were on the podium of, you know, what's going on a little bit. And then they hand me this trophy and it was hard to hold on to. And all I could think of while I was holding it was, oh my gosh, I can't drop this. I can't drop this. And I don't even know what was going on around me. I just kept thinking, I can't drop this. 
So it was it was all very uh, fairy like up there, really not knowing what was going to happen or what was going on and just being there in the moment, uh, embracing it. With this very heavy trophy that you were terrified to drop. (laughs) So you come back to the U.S. and um, you I suppose you want to continue racing. I mean, you you won like the biggest race in, in the world, even though it happened. Um, some would say it was a bit overshadowed by the debut of the women's uh, road race at the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles, which happened very shortly after that. So you've you've won the Tour de France Feminine, you come back to the US. And then what happens? So the next year at training camp, I, for whatever reason, I started not recovering. I mean, I was diligent about taking my pulse. So I knew exactly where my body was, if it was recovered or needing rest. And my body wasn't fully recovering ever. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. So when your body doesn't fully recover, you can't do your best. You can't go as hard. You can't, you know, you can't win because you're not at your best. And I would see doctors and they all just said, oh, honey, it's stress or, you know, whatever they said. So I I wasn't fit enough to ride in the tour. So it wasn't an option. I did ride in the course classic and I didn't do great, but I wasn't fit enough to go to France that year. Were you you disappointed? Were people saying, why isn't Marianne Martin trying to reclaim her yellow jersey? Yes, I was very disappointed because I knew there was something wrong with my body and I didn't know what it was. And 20 years later, I found out that I had all these food allergies and that were really affecting my body. But at the time, nobody knew. So it was also emotionally hard. Like, what's wrong with me? Is it just my mind? What's going on? And it was it was a difficult time for me. Fast forward a couple of decades, uh, it is now uh, 2022, and the Tour de France avec Swift is debuting. When did you first hear about that, and what was your reaction to it? I don't remember when I first heard about it, but I was extremely excited. I mean, what a great opportunity for Zwift to come in and sponsor something, because I think all the exposure and all the excitement about it is the perfect opportunity for them and what a great opportunity for women to have a solid support and such a great company behind them. And I was just so excited to have that for women again. So now it is July of 2022. You're in Paris. Uh, you're a, a special guest, honored guest, watching the start of the relaunch of the, the Tour de France Feminine, the Tour de, Tour de Femme avec Swift. What was it like to see this new version? It was so exciting. And again, the French are so supportive of cycling that Paris was packed. The whole start finish line was people as far as you could see and much excitement. It was a much bigger event than when we did it. And it was great to see that women's racing what had gone so far and was making such a impact. What was it like seeing some of the women that you hadn't seen for for 40 years? Oh, that was one of the best things about the whole time in Paris because I had not stayed in touch with people. 
and to reconnect on a very authentic level and also see how everybody there was still fit, was still active and still had cycling involved in their life. And just to reminisce about the different experiences we had, where we interacted and where we interacted and even where we didn't, but just all of our experiences, it was so great to share. Miriam, would you like to see the Tour de Femme Avec Swift add more stages, perhaps to the um, 18 that you did in 1984? So it's more, um, so it's a longer, a longer race or, or should it just be what it's going to be a stand stand on its own merit i would like to see the tour de france femme avec swift to just keep going if they can add more stages that would be great but i wouldn't want anything to risk the presence of it so if for whatever reason they need to keep it like it is all for it if they could add more even better but I don't want anything now to risk its existence. Marion Martin, thank you so very much for being a guest on the Uphill Climb podcast. Jill, I'm so excited to be here and I'm so excited that you're creating this wonderful memory for us and for the future of women's cycling. You're doing such a great job. Thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to watch Uphill Climb now streaming on Peacock. NBC Sports presents coverage of the 2023 Tour de France Femme avec Swift beginning Sunday, July 23rd, with all eight stages of the race streaming live on Peacock. And be sure to watch NBC Sports coverage of the 110th edition of the Tour de France on Peacock, concluding with the final stage on Sunday, July 23rd, live on Peacock at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. 